Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> They sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit. Apply within two bills of cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto-pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we're back. We talk MLS and Heineken Rivalry Week as the playoff push begins. The U.S. men's national team just released their 26-man roster for World Cup qualifiers. Jeff Reuter joins us to discuss the national team state, and the qualifiers are coming up. Finally, NYC FC is playing a game in Connecticut. We discuss our thoughts on the stadium issue. All this on this week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Jodderan. Across from me is Armand Kafai. You can't even say your own name. No. What's wrong with you? Yeah, but you couldn't say Connecticut earlier. No, I just added something at the end, okay? Uh, it wasn't Connecticut. Uh-huh. Get it right. Hey, uh, before we get even started, I just want to say thoughts and prayers to the city of Houston, our neighbors down south. Yes. Terrible. It's terrible. Wanted to mention we're not blind to what's going around, uh, going on around us, but yeah, we're not just like soccer nerds. Come on now, no, no. But uh, what a busy show we got! Jeff coming back on. We're really excited. U.S. Men's National Team big week ahead, uh, and catch our little preview of the USA Costa Rica game Thursday. So be on the lookout for Ooh. that. But uh, MLS, it's been a busy couple of weeks since we've talked about MLS. And it's been, oh, uh, yeah. it was the uh, MLS Rivalry Week, Heineken. Heineken Rivalry Week. It's always in, uh, it's weird. Some of these rivalries are weird. What's the weirdest? Um, I would have to say the, the Rocky Mountain Cup between Real Salt Lake and Colorado. Like, I, w- I lived in Colorado two years. I never get the sense that, oh, Real Salt Lake, they suck. No, not really. 
I think the only thing they have in common is that uh, they have mountains. And they play at altitude. Yeah. I, seriously, I mean, I, I don't I don't think they both won an MLS Cup. I guess that's good for them. But as far as it comes to rivalries, it's it's not it's not the same as others. What's your favorite rivalry? My favorite rivalry is um I would say the New York Derby. Knew it. Hudson River Derby. Hud- is it New I York Derby? Because on Twitter it was New York Derby. On other places, we, a couple of weeks ago, it was the Hudson River Derby. So which one is it? I think it's Hudson River Derby. But uh, this week's matchup was pretty good. Yeah, it was a phenomenal game. So, uh, but yeah, let's begin with that because the New York Derby has a. It's unique to MLS because it's the only inner city derby. It won't be. Soon. It won't be soon, but as far as it comes to now and today, as the listeners are concerned f- of, it's the MLS's first inner city derby. It has a unique flavor, a unique spin, red, blue, classic uh, rival colors. So it's it's a phenomenal aspect in that sense. Red Bull Arena is a fantastic stadium. Uh, my only Beautiful gri- stadium. My only gripe is they started the game at, what was it, 6.30? Seven yeah, and people are still like, uh, well, it was 7 o'clock, I want to say New York time, 6 o'clock my time. Um, and there, I mean, people were slowly coming in. I mean, you can't blame them. No, you can. It's, it's, and it's the game. It's, the argument will be the same thing. I think Taylor Twelman mentioned it on the broadcast. Like, why are you having this game so early when people can't get through traffic? The U.S. men's national team play earlier, if not the same time. Yeah. So earlier, yeah. What are they doing in setting up that game? What about the atmosphere? Because I think the biggest and most important aspect to MLS Rivalry Week is the atmosphere. It's not the results of the game. It's the atmosphere. I agree. And the atmosphere when uh, Red Bull and City play has been fantastic so far. Though many say the league kind of made up this rivalry. No, I I think genuinely the two fan bases and the two clubs – have a dislike for each other. I don't think it was made, you know, like fabricated, made in any way. I think, no, yeah, and, and I think it's the most important thing. I think is the fans, and without the fans for Heineken Rivalry Week, I mean, do you even have a rivalry at that point? That's a good question. Very good question. Um, you know, the New York Derby, I think, symbolizes something that is is one of those MLSs, you know turning the page growing up type of thing, like a real rival, real intercity rival that Europe has plenty of. Milan, Manchester, uh, Madrid. You know, you go across the big cities in Europe, London. You know, the, the, the real soccer culture countries have that. And MLS is taking that next step into developing it. And then next year, you're adding LAFC versus the Galaxy, where the stadium's only eleven miles apart, that's even like that's even taking it to another level, right? Meanwhile, and you know NYCFC, we'll talk about in the third segment, has to you know play one hundred eight miles away from Yankee Stadium. You know, yeah, that there's still <laughs> there's still that thing with the New York Derby that hasn't been set yet, where it's like there's no official home for the for City, NYC. Right? Yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's missing that aspect. But overall, it's been really fun. But for me, honestly, for me, my favorite rivalry is the one that uh, we saw actually 
just finished a couple hours ago between Montreal and Toronto. I think that is a genuine two cities that dislike each other on yeah. the level of Portland yep. and Seattle. Yep. yep. That is, uh, again, red versus blue. You see that color clash. Uh, and, and it's not even, it's, it's politically, it's cultural, it's language barriers. It, it's it everything you want. Yes. And, and what my watching the game, I was a little disappointed because the atmosphere seemed a little flat. Maybe ESPN needs to work. Maybe MLS needs to, to put in something to get the commentators or get the, the volume of the stadium to pick up. Oh, man, up. I, I don't know about you, but I was picking up on some of the chants that Montreal was saying, and I think they were hilarious. No, uh, they, they were funny. The but... Altador one? Did you hear the Altador one? What, what, what was it? Altador is falling down, falling down. <laughs> like the, the London Bridge is hilarious. Uh, no, no, it was, it was no, awesome. No. And... I think they should need to work on maybe like miking up the fans a little better. I mean, also yes, miking it up. You want to be careful. You want to be careful though, because I mean, there were a few f bombs thrown, and you could hear them through the TV. And I don't think you'd want your viewership to hear that. Sure, um, sure. But but overall, I, the thing is, Montreal and Toronto, the the rivalry of sorts, kind of escalated after last year's playoff series, which I'd say by far is one of the best playoff series I've ever seen in MLS. Oh, that was phenomenal. I remember it. It was 7-5 the final aggregate. It was phenomenal. I mean, you you saw what MLS could be. You saw the stadium literally at the, its edge of the seat, standing there, chanting, realizing this is history they're witnessing, realizing this is Toronto suddenly becoming the club that it's envisioned it to be since its inception in 07. I mean, let's talk about that. Toronto has been magnificent. Yes, is yes, that, yes. Is that, is that like, I think that's an understatement because the way Giovinco has been playing and the way Victor Vasquez has been playing, this, this team, they finally, I think, that the three-back line system that's been running for so long with the wingbacks, it's finally come to fruition how good they can play. We saw part of it last season, but remember, they were they came in, they won the playoff, the play-in game against the uh, Union, I want to say, uh, to move on in the playoffs. I think this year they're going to be a team that's going to get that bye, and they're going to be, I think they could be one of the first teams, well, one of the first teams, but one of the few teams who do the double win the Supporters' Shield in the MLS Cup. That's how good I think they are. Uh, and they're on record to breaking the, the barrier for the most points in a regular season, which is I think right. is at 69, if I'm correct. I think it's 70, seventy. No, I think it's in the seventies. We're gonna fact check that in the break, but it's something like that. It's pretty high. They're right now at fifty six points. Right. Yeah. So and they have. It was some like I was watching the broadcast, and this is like they've only lost maybe two or three times in the last twenty matches. I mean, it's crazy. Fun thing is, they've lost uh, three games, and one of them was to FC Dallas. It was in Frisco. They lost, I think, four two. Oh, wow. I want to say score was yes. Yeah, so it was really interesting to see. But I mean, Stephen, I don't know about you, but I think Giovinco has been one that is again should be MVP of the league. Oh, absolutely. And I gotta ask you, Armand, is Toronto on his on a? It's obviously on a historic level. But could you make the argument they're the best MLS side that has ever fielded on the eleven? Now that's a really tough question for for me to answer. I mean. I remember because people were asking that same question. Taylor Twelman was like, how can compare the, the eras? I can say that they are one of the best, most efficient teams uh, that the league has seen in the last 
maybe six, seven years uh, since 2010, if I were to make that like a barrier or whatnot. I think it's everything. I mean, all they have no truly, I would say, bad player, if that makes any sense. I mean, we see bad players uh, that, that play, but I mean, I think they have great rotation pieces. Their their back line with uh, Drew Moore coming back after his early heart uh, issues. Uh, Zavaleta, Mavinga has been really great. Oh, let's and talk about Alto yeah, has ahead, been ahead. healthy. That's key. Yeah, it's very key. And then you also have Michael Bradley. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, being that nice, uh, was it blanket in front of that back line? I mean, you have you. you I really cannot see that many teams beating Toronto now knowing MLS to get knocked out in the semifinals. So, I mean, like... Yeah, no, and that's the thing. It's like <laughs> they could do what FC Dallas did last season, win Supporter Shield, and then fold in the playoffs. And that remains to be I seen. I mean, it dif- th- there's a difference, though, because, I mean, FC Dallas lost their best player, and they look kind of... Shaken. Out of sorts without him. Yeah. But no, I think it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Toronto fair, will be fine. Fair enough, but, you know, you do see that happen often. Win the Supporter Shield, and then kind of fold in the playoffs, wherever it yeah, may absolutely. be. Um, back to New York, uh, not talking off the field, David Villa got recalled to the national team for Spain, 35 years old after a three-year absence. Phenomenal uh, call-up for MLS, NYCFC, for David Villa. It brings a whole new element to, to, his, to his legendary career uh, as a whole in here in MLS. Right, yeah, he's... Let me tell you something. David Villa, when he goes down, I said Giovinco is one of the best players in MLS. David Villa is right there at number two. Right there at number two. He is fantastic. He puts – let me tell you something, Steven. I don't see that many players that put as much effort yeah. as he does in the field. Yeah, he, and, and he, he, he encompasses everything that a DP should hold. That work ethic, that leadership, the skill, the creativity, the goals, the flair, the name. Like, I don't know, living in Dallas for so long, when they would come into town, people went to, you know, that that was, you went to go see David Villa, not because FC Dallas is playing, it's because FC Dallas is playing somebody with a legendary player. And David Villa, it's, when NYC gets a stadium or something, he needs to have a statue like right in front of there because he's carried the team. If you remember when he uh, scored a hat trick against the Red Bulls in the three in the three two game, the game before his uh, past uh, derby game, and he you see him ninetieth minute, and this is one thing that has always caught my eye. You see him tracking back on defense, just sprinting out, out from wherever he has in the forward, just sprinting back to the defensive line, and he could have taken it easy. He could have you know just packed it in but he hasn't and it's truly been awesome and now see he's rewarded by his national team yeah maybe maybe you'll see more players come in and be like hey look maybe i should come to mls i'll still get called my national team well, and and what's crazy is think about it, it's great advertisement because david via selling talks to all these spanish players hey how's life in america well you know, I live in New York. I'm kind of a lower person. I can walk the streets. I don't really get bothered. There's great food, the culture, blah, blah, blah. It, it's not that bad. And then Spanish players might be like, oh, okay, maybe. You know, I could definitely see a, a PK making the move over here. Obviously, na- tied with Shakira, the name. You know, you could definitely see that recognition. You know, maybe a Sergio Ramos. 
some of these older Spanish defenders could make their way to MLS, but you know that's just speculation. Now, continu- continuing our MLS Rivalry Week discussion, FC Dallas took on Houston midweek last week, and at three three, our own Armand Armando <laughs> was uh, there. So, first off, I want you to address me by my name. My name is Armand Armando, and secondly, yeah, I was at the game. Um, okay, Armand. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you something. That was a game that was one of the best performances Dallas has done and the worst performance Dallas has done at the same time. At the same time, it was bizarre, to say the least. Well, and I, you, you, Go ahead. I was going to say, for an MLS rivalry week game, it was weird being on a Wednesday to begin with. Yeah, I don't know whose idea was that, but it was pretty terrible. It was bad marketing from the league gone down. That was just awful, right? Yes, especially because how are you going to expect Houstonians to make that six-hour drive? Especially when there's a four- or five-hour drive on a weekday. Come on, there's a hurricane coming, and they're worried about that. There's a lot more things that they'd rather do than go watch a soccer game in Frisco, Texas. Come on now. So, um, but... I mean, the real discussion now, I mean, good for Houston. Houston seems to continue to grow, get the ball. You know, they come back late. I think that's, that's good for, for their progress into the playoffs. But FC Dallas is in a real slump. What was one of the best teams in the league, supporter shield worthy, uh, has suddenly fallen off winless in six games. What, what are we to make of this squad here in Dallas? They, it's it's hard to describe, but I mean it's not really hard to describe. You can see it. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> you, I mean it's it's just like the team is discombobulated. They they're not sure what they're doing. Um, you're 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 watching you're watching them play and whatnot. The four two three one with Mauro Diaz. A lot of people are saying, oh, Mauro Diaz is out. He'd make a big impact. My opinion is the team has been struggling with Mauro Diaz. So what they did is in the Colorado game they put Mauro on the bench and switched that four four two. They struggled in the 4-4-2 against a team. Sacked their head coach after that, that draw. Then they switched to, to this really attacking, I would say a 4-3-3. Excuse me. And um, it, it, it worked well, but for some reason, it, they just turned off. And when they turned off, it just it, they invited pressure. And all of a sudden, they weren't getting possession of the ball. They were inviting pressure like crazy. Houston, the pressure added up, and Houston broke the dam. The problem with Dallas right now is that I just some, something went wrong, and Diaz isn't producing, and I feel like this team's offense a little too dependent on Morrow, and that's what I think they, they – in order for them to take that next step, they need Morrow to be at, at their peak. If he isn't at his peak or if they struggle with him or without him, I think this team is lost, and they could miss the playoffs. Sure, sure. Um, continuing our discussion here – you had Cali Classico and the Rocky Mountain Cup. Now you said in the green room, you did could care less for these rivalries, correct? Get rid of them, kind of. Cali Classico, no, Cali Classico is really entertaining. Uh, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain Cup, eh, it's 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 whatever. I mean, it's going to happen Cali Classico. Yeah, sure. When LA comes in, uh, Cascadia Cup, Portland Timbers, Sounders—they're both at the top of the Western Conference. Uh, you it's actually know, about to start. Yeah, actually, for the time of this recording, it's about to start. So, you know, 
Phenomenal matchup there. Phenomenal hatred between the two clubs. One of those, uh, you know, I would. I love it. You say it's your favorite. I would. I said earlier that I thought Montreal, Toronto is my favorite, and I totally forgot about Seattle and Portland. I don't know how you can forget. That is my favorite. I mean, every single time you have fans packing the stands, great competitive games, excitement, fun. When when the Timbers won the championship. You, you, there's this, this little press conference, and I think it was Ridgewell. He goes, bleep Seattle. Like, that's <laughs> the hatred we want to hear. Yes. That's, I mean, that's, that's what, what makes, we want to see in Rivalry Week. That was, that's what makes MLS Rivalry Week so superb. Listeners, as you can hear, we're over Skype. That's going to be from uh, here on out for a while. So get used the to it. Norm. It's the norm. Don't worry, same content, same people, same personalities, same great show. Up next is Jeff from Minnesota, MLS.com, ESPN FC, Jeff Reuter. We'll be right back. Joining us today is the man, the myth, the fox. Jeff Reuter. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's good to be back here on a, a Sunday night. Um, I feel like I need to explain the Fox thing, but you know what? Actually, <laughs> let's. I'll let you decide. Either you explain it or we let people think you're hitting on me. It's really one or the other. <laughs> but it's on, your do you show. want me to explain it or do you want you to explain it? No. I think, honestly, let's just leave it. I'd say we just leave it as it is. I'm the Fox and we'll uh, we'll proceed. I don't know. It's, uh, it's an exciting day with the U.S. national team roster and uh, yes. rivalry week was actually entertaining this year so i don't know it's uh it's kind of a win-win right now yeah well let's let's touch up on rivalry week and get your overall thoughts and obviously minnesota although they're not rivals with chicago they're but real know. rival chicago fire <laughs> right got a massive three points in chicago so i don't know if you wanted to brief that quickly yeah i mean it was it was a bit of a surprise i'll be i'll be completely honest minnesota has been They've been struggling with injuries, with suspensions, with international call-ups through the entire season. But I, I think deep down their biggest issue has just been a lack of depth at positions that are crucial. You look at their transfer window that they had. They brought in some nice pieces. I think Sam Nicholson was a good addition on the left wing. He doesn't quite look up to the caliber yet, but he's improving just about every week, uh, the Scottish international winger. Ethan Finley obviously was a massive pickup. But Minnesota hasn't brought in a backup number six. And so when you're looking at that game in Chicago yesterday, Sam Cronin had to get subbed off. He picked up a, a knock in the head uh, with a ball that was kicked right at him. And he, he fell over. He ended up going on for another 20 minutes. And then he, he went to the ground again. He's had some issues with concussions, not just this year, but in the past. So it's something that the team is closely monitoring at this point. So Nicholson, or sorry, Cronin comes out. And Colin Warner comes in, and I know he's been deployed as a six in Toronto, in Houston, some of these other places, but he's he's a box-to-box guy. He doesn't like camping out in front of a back line like Cronin does. What makes Cronin invaluable is he doesn't – he's not a feels a need to play hero. He's completely right. content, you know, just anchored in front of that back line and kind of sweeping back and forth, clearing out things, picking up runs, stopping counterattacks, tugging jerseys like Kyle Beckerman does too. Um but there's no one else on this roster from 
Minnesota United that's doing that. And so I, I think if you look at what their biggest problems have been leading up to this game, because obviously they had a homestand, a five-game homestand over July and early August where they only picked up four points, which uh, obviously isn't good enough. And, and that's what kept them out of playoff contention as we're going in these final two months. That said, this game against Chicago, I mean, they caught Chicago at the right time. I'm, I'm sure that you guys have touched on this a little bit, but... It's been it's been a strange stretch of games for the yeah, Fire who had been really absolutely weird. red hot. Yeah, so I don't know uh, if you guys got a chance to catch that game because I'm I'm pretty certain that was just about the same time as FC Dallas's, and I know that uh, that's kind of your bread and butter. But um, hmm. Minnesota came out and they were hungry. I mean, the, the the first half they were able to keep composed. This was Brent Coleman's second game back after having some leg issues, and he was an absolute. Uh, he, he put on a masterclass defensively. Uh, Nemanja Nikolic has been terrorizing backlines across MLS all season long because I don't think many teams have a book on him yet. You know, you face off against like Fernando Adi and you know exactly what you're going to get. You, right. you, you, you face off against even Freddie Montero hasn't changed an awful lot since his days in Seattle. Uh, maybe he drifts a little less, but still you have a book on Freddie Montero. Mm. No one really knew Nikolic coming into the season. No, nobody. But call no, yeah, and so it, it's part of the reason why he's been able to get 16 goals, but uh, Coleman put in a fantastic shift, and I think that was the difference, honestly. Jerome Tiason did a really good job containing David Akam for the most part, um, and now Minnesota's going to take the international break to rest up a little bit, and then they're hosting a Philadelphia union that just drew Atlanta uh, at home. So an interesting stretch for Minnesota, but I don't think there's enough time for them to make a playoff. Push. I expansion club. I don't think many expected much, especially from yeah. That's from the you know the difficulty of the how the league is already set up with some clubs just having the the depth to to mm-hmm. succeed. Absolutely. Um, but you did want to uh, before we came on here. We're talking. You said you wanted to touch up on FC Dallas, and you say it was our bread and butter. But uh, far away, mm-hmm. I don't know if you what, what what do you see or what what do you get the inclination of why? Mm-hmm. FC what do you Dallas? think's their problem with yeah. with their funk? Well, yeah. So I, I think that there's there's two. The smaller problem I think is you lose pieces like Zach Lloyd, and I know he didn't play in a, in a lot last season. But, I mean, he was a guy who had been with the club for a while. He, there's, there's some familiarity with that. You lose some of those guys who might not be your starters anymore. Glue guys. Yeah, but they're glue guys, and you need to have yeah. those guys on the team. Minnesota has improved with every MLS veteran they've brought in. Finley, Cronin, Birch, Shuttleworth. Um, it just, it's making the team more cohesive, and I think the same thing goes with Dallas. I'm not saying that they don't have a lot of those guys. But I, I think the the bigger problem here, and I won't I won't spend too much time on this probably, but I, I was texting with uh, a friend who was at the Spurs match at Wembley today, uh, where they ended up losing, uh, or not losing, they drew Burnley at home in the 93rd minute. And he was talking about how he was just absolutely gutted about it. And we were talking about it, and it's the exact same lineup for Tottenham this year, right? And there, there were no changes. Every team knows how to play Spurs this year. Pochettino has done a great job with them, but... Once, if there's no element of surprise, it's so much easier to game plan with your new faces. And I think FC Dallas is running into a wall of this. I know it's a cohesive core. I know it's a core that makes perfect sense on paper. But who's the guy out there who's hungry to do more? I know that they want to win MLS Cup, but they won the supporter shield. You know, they've they've done an incredible job. They've had U.S. Open Cup success. You know, these guys are getting national team call-ups now, uh, which we'll talk about in a second, too. But 
who's the guy who's in there week after week and saying, I've got to prove myself. I'm hungry. I've got to make sure that this team wins because if they lose while I'm in the lineup, I'm going to get dropped. I don't think anyone really is feeling the pressure in Dallas like they're going to get dropped. Um, Christian Coleman failed his audition. I think that that was a smart move, but there should have been two or three pieces. I think that if you sell Kellen Acosta, you put back in Victor Uloa, he's hungry, he's scrappy, he doesn't want to get dropped again. You you replace, um, you know, I, I, I like Lama and I like, uh, oh, who is, who's the other guy on the wing? Thank you, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like these guys, but um, not, it sometimes seems to be missing, especially during the regular season. We'll see if they're able to flip the switch as they get to the postseason, because I still think that's a foregone conclusion, even with yesterday's loss. But um, I, I think it's just it's a matter of how do you motivate yourself or who who is really pushing the needle to make sure that every single game it's I mean you're going at 110 percent, you know, to, to borrow a football cliche. So. That's it. It's really interesting because we had Zimmerman on on our first ever episode. He talked about last season how they they really wanted to win a trophy, and you do. I do get the sense that the you kind of have that that um, you know we don't have much to play for. It looks like the supporter shield is out of our hand. Kind of let's wait for mm-hmm. the playoffs. Let's but cruise to wa- the playoffs. Kind of like what's been happening to them. You know, like you, I know what you're saying, Steve. I know 100 what you're saying. Kind of like this cruise to the playoffs. Let's just try to get in. Let's make that run during the playoffs. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, kind of flip the switch. Obviously, at the right time. The problem is, you like you said it in the first 20 minutes. They had their best performance and their worst performance. So they can't flip the switch. It's just can they flip flip the switch for 90 minutes or for multiple series and into MLS Cup? Mm-hmm. And the hardest part about doing that is if you're planning on flipping a switch. That's a major gamble. Yes. You know, because MLS, I know that you will run into teams that don't ride momentum, but of course everyone's going to talk about Seattle Sounders last year. You're going to talk about Toronto FC. Those were the two hottest teams, the third hottest team at Montreal Impact. And it turned into the best postseason series in 2002, you know, with that Canadian Cup uh, going to the home and home Toronto and Montreal. So I, I think that you need to build some amount of momentum going into MLS Cup playoffs. And I don't think that you can bank on being... I mean, look, I'm, I'm thinking back to some of these Galaxy teams, the Robbie Keane and Donovan experiment last year, even the year before, where the entire plan was to get the three seed and then get through the one-game playoff round, and then you're just going to be able to do Galaxy things, right? And you're going you're gonna to be more talented than every other team out on the field, and it's going to be enough. And it wasn't. They lost to Portland in the play-in game in 2015. They won MLS Cup, and then last year they lost again. So I, I think it's a dangerous game to play. We'll see if Oscar Preya can get his men up to it. Absolutely. But let's talk about the U.S. men's national team where the roster was dropped. 18 MLS players, 3 Bundesliga players, 2 Liga MX, 2 Championship, and 1 Premier League players. Uh, let's go around. We'll start with Armand. Thoughts on the roster? I think it's a roster that you'd expect from Bruce Arena, at least. Um, looking through it, the only player that I'm kind of surprised about, which is uh, uh, really interesting, I think it's Matt Hedges. Um, I think he had a really shaky uh, Gold Cup performance. I think maybe they could have used maybe a Miazga, potentially, or uh, another center back of that caliber. I mean, Hedges is a quality player, but his Gold Cup it was kind of shaky. Um 
And but I mean, looking throughout the roster, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really surprised by anything else. Rolled on is a name that pops out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice quality uh, center mid who's proved it for Bruce Arena after he said, "Hey, just play well in the um, uh, MLS and maybe get, get maybe we'll get another look up once mm-hmm. when they recalled him." Uh, Omar Gonzalez also being a lapse really nice, and I think overall, I mean, like I said, I think it's something you expect from Bruce Arena. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think Armand's spot on. It, it, it's there are no major surprises, and I, I think that that's something that. Even though Bruce Arena hasn't had a total wild card since he took over at the end of last year with his call-ups, I think it's something that people who follow the U.S. men's national team are still a little surprised by after how many years with Jurgen Klinsmann. But if you're looking at this roster, fullback is going to be a major question mark, as always. DeAndre Yedlin uh, being unavailable, that's massive. Graham Zussi has done a serviceable Mm -hmm. job with SKC, and he did during the Gold Cup. Uh, And Eric Lehigh can do the job, too, but they're not DeAndre Yedlin. You know, I, right. I did I did honestly think Timothy Chandler was going to be on this roster over uh, Lehigh. And honestly, I would have started Chandler. I, I think that he just offers a slightly different mentality at that fullback position, and I, I think it would have been beneficial. So that's going to be something I'm watching. Uh, Demarcus Beasley, I think, is the projected starter for the 20. 20- 22 world cup and cutter at this point see i don't see anyone else who's going to challenge him before 2022 so long live demarcus beasley because at age 40 you're going to be starting a world cup um other than that i'm serious that's a good shout on roldan armand because i look at him and he was he made his debut during the gold cup but he was the only player who really grabbed the gold cup call up by the horns and made sure to turn it into international call-up you could argue that jordan morris did too i suppose but roldan was really the only guy who truly benefited from that tournament and i i think that just kind of closes the book on the 2017 gold cup which players like dom dwyer kellen Rowe, who i know he's injured but they looked at that tournament as a chance to really break into the picture to get in for russia and i think with every qualifying roster that comes out that door closes a little bit more for guys like dwyer uh, as they're looking to try to, yeah. you know, get on that plane, assuming the U.S. qualifies, which I, I do think that they will. Um, the only other surprise I had, and it's really it's picking it at this point, but Nick Ramon, oh, yeah. I, I think that that's always a prime opportunity to bring in an Ethan Horvath or a Bill Hamid, you know, somebody who's going to be able to maybe take over in the next cycle. I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Tim Howard's going to, have to be finish out you're gonna have to look yeah you're gonna have to look for another option after the world cup next summer for tim howard he's gonna be 40 and uh you know he he's clearly he's lost a step i think his reflexes are as good as ever i think his positioning is still pretty good but everything around those two which to be fair those are the two things that you need out of a world cup goalkeeper so he's he would be fine exactly but i I don't think you can bank on that lasting for another four years so i would have liked to see a hamid or a horvath come in or even sean johnson who's been playing very well for nycfc this last year i think that one of those three who's a guy who's under 30 who can really come in use that to build momentum work with howard work with guzan and then challenge brad guzan for the next cycle Sure. I mean, Hedges definitely sticks out. I, I agree with Armand. I I just don't think he's done much to, to improve his stock coming off of last year's, you know, MLS Defender of the Year award. You expected something higher. Um but I, I want to switch to the midfield because this is something that Armand has been and Armand and I have been talking about is 
how Kalinikosta, the youngster, could really you know build to be something with the national team and obviously going overseas with the speculation on that. Uh, but with Christian Pulisic coming into the side, do you think it's going to free him a little up? Because during the Gold Cup, we saw him force a couple of things that you know this seemed to be a little too big of a stage for him at the at the time. Yeah, I, I think that some of the issues for Acosta was that going into the tournament, I think he was actually looked at as one of the best players on the team. I don't think Kellen Acosta is at a point in his career where he can put a team on his back. You know, <laughs> if you look at that group stage, it's just not his game. And and frankly, I, it's too early for that. that. But that Gold Cup roster was bare bones. I, I know yeah. the, the U.S. talent pool isn't as deep as a lot of these countries that you can use a C team, team moniker for. Yeah. Like they're not Germany. Exactly. But this was clearly a B team for the U S national team in the gold cup, except for players like Kellen Acosta and uh, like the Omar Gonzalez, Matt Beasley center back pairing. Acosta during the gold cup. Yeah. I know that he's been hitting some fantastic free kicks and that's not something that goes away for him. He is a player who's who's capable of those moments of brilliance, but I think that Acosta is at his best when he has Michael Bradley alongside him. I think that he's also, when he doesn't have to do any of the creative work, you know, if yeah. he does any, it's a bonus, right? But if he's got Polisic, who's going to be able to pull those strings as the 10, most likely, and then you've got Bradley along, alongside him, and then you've got Acosta, I, I, I would still start him against Costa Rica. I don't know if I would start him against Honduras, but... I, I look at that first game against Costa Rica, and I, I, I think that that's a good opportunity. I think that three-man midfield of like Bradley Acosta is still the best option. And then you've got Fabian Johnson on the left and Paul Ariola on the right, and I, I think that that's formidable. Otherwise, if you do make that into a four-man, kind of the diamond, um, then, yeah, Acosta's the odd man out. But uh, And that's, that's probably most likely. I think you'd see Dempsey as something of like a, a right-mid kind of withdrawn or he's the super sub you know i I think with the midfield more so than last cycle when you knew it was going to be some disgusting uh alignment of kyle beckerman michael bradley and (laughs) jermaine jones who all want to play the same position (laughs) yeah that's perfect right or you Mm -hmm. bench one of them they get crabby for the most part, especially if it's Jermaine, and you would never bench Michael. So um, you really had to game plan with that. I think there's a lot of fluidity, there's flexibility, and I think the midfield the midfield is strong. It's not quite as strong as the forward pool is right now, but I, I think that the midfield pool is it's, it's stable at this point. I mean, obviously, the biggest, I think, issue or concern is obviously you know the defense. But do you feel like... It's kind of a conclusion that the midfield is Pulisic, Acosta, and Michael Bradley for the World Cup, and the other players that you know, at Nagby or uh, you know, the the ones that were left off the roster, kind of going to have a hard time trying to fit in or even sneak into the the final twenty three for twenty eighteen Russia. That's fair. Yeah, I, I mean, Nagby was one of the twenty because there are three extra guys on this roster. Yes, there will be a few. Yeah, yeah. But I, I totally see what you're saying. I, I think Nagby is one of those guys who he's he's back on the bubble. You know, he's had a really strange last eighteen months 
right, where he he came up for the Copa America Centenario, and he was he was sharing billing with Christian Pulisic at the time, right? right yeah. Even though he's like six years older. But he was seen as like, you know, this is the creative playmaker they've been looking for. And then Sasha Kleshton came in and did a job very well. Sasha Kleshton, actually, I think is the biggest snub on this roster. I agree I, with that. I agree with I, that. I think that Sasha Kleshton is the exact kind of player uh, that would be needed. Who would I drop for him if I'm looking at this midfield? Uh, Christian Roldan. I, I, I just look and Roldan is going to be buried in that depth chart by Michael Braddock being You drop you bring in Sasha Kleshton, that, that gives you that many more options. And Kleshton is a guy, you forget, but he's been a key contributor to the team cycle. Um, Benny Fellhaber was on the 2010 World Cup team, you know, and he, he's, I think that he's behind Kleshton on the pecking order. But if, if you're looking at Nagby, is he a wide player? Because this year, Caleb Porter was adamant at the beginning of the year that he would be deployed on the wing. I, I don't think you've seen quite enough from him, and honestly, his best moments have been when he's drifted centrally. So he, the enigma with Darlington Nagby is that he is a coach who's his biggest fan, who's watched over his development since college at Akron, and just wants to get him on the field and feels that he can trust his player enough not to give him a true position. That's well and good, and that's invaluable for a coach. But I do think that it stunted his development, much like you saw with Michael Bradley during the Jurgen Klinsmann era. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if Nagby can get in. I, if you look at that roster, you know, you trim off Roldan, you trim. Well, first, I mean, you would replace Tim Ream with John Brooks, right? And you replace yeah, Eric right. Lee, Eric Lehigh with DeAndre Lynn. Um and then you're you're cutting two more guys. If you look at yeah, you, Wondolowski would probably be one, and I, I guess the other one would be uh, Morris. Would you would you take Morris out, or maybe a Graham Zusi? Yeah, it would be Zusi, I think. But Zusi has a little more flexibility. So maybe it would be um, one of Beasley, yeah, and Yafania, yeah, or just someone who can only position. Zusi can play on the wing or do set pieces and things like that. So sure. I think there's a little valuable. Um, that he has a little value he gives there. But I, I think you're right, man. I, I think if you look at this ro- roster, there are weak links, but you can point out that Yedlin will be able to jump right back in the picture once he's fit, assuming he's getting minutes at Newcastle. And John Brooks, if he's healthy, is your left center back with Jeff Cameron. And that pairing has been phenomenal. If I think back to the Copa America, you know that was, that was a great tournament for the two of them. So I, I do think that... Most, I would say, at least twenty of these guys will be on the World Cup roster, yeah, yeah, yeah. and even that, even that feels like a conservative estimate. So, uh, Armand, who are you starting at the front? Is it Altador and Wood? I mean, obviously, for the World Cup qualifiers coming up with with the roster they have here, are we putting Dempsey? Are you starting? Are you starting the the experience of Dempsey and Altador? Well, I'm looking at the the roster right now and. The way Dempsey played it as a super sub, I think you I think you leave him as a super sub. I think you go with the maybe a um, a combination, maybe an Altador and a Wood. I mean, I feel like they're two of kind of like the same mold of a player. But um, I would I would either go with one of those two or even throw Morris in there, maybe with Altador and Morris with Wood. Uh, just made to add a little change of a uh, uh, what's it called his pace or mm-hmm. whatnot. But um. My thing is, uh, I think Dempsey played really well as a super sub. Um, I think 
people were really worried at first. Oh, can you be a super sub? Will his ego get in the way? Blah, blah, blah. But I think it's worked out perfectly. You get a nice, fresh Clinton Dempsey. and With a point to prove. The United States needs it. But yeah, the point to prove. And the United States needs it. He always comes in. If Poulsen adding creativity, you can always bring on Dempsey for more creativity if you're down or if you're searching for a goal. So, I mean, I would go with a combination of Outdoor Morris, Morris Wood, Outdoor Wood. One of those, I wouldn't really – I would stick with Dempsey on the bench from the forwards perspective. Sure. I think I'd agree with that, I, I, especially with that Costa Rica game when you're at home in Harrison. I, I think that that's a game that, yeah, you start uh, Outdoor Wood. Um and then if I'm looking at that Honduras fixture on the fifth, I'm probably just starting Wood up top. I just don't think Josie, Josie plays best if he has a second striker off of him. Right. I think that that's why he and Wood have worked so well. Yes, I agree. Um, so if I need to start one, yeah, if, if I need to start just one, yeah, it's going to be Bobby Wood. But that would only be for a road game where you're really trying to pad the midfield and stop Honduras. And keep in mind... The U.S. in their home fixture against Honduras and qualifiers won six zero. Right, and, and so it's not. It, it's always a deceivingly difficult place to play. In the the last cycle, in 2013, the USA lost on the road to Honduras two to one. So they've had their issues, you know. And then the cycle before, they won three to two. So it's it's not a foregone conclusion that yeah. they would win. But y- you look at that, and it's. They shouldn't be dropping any points, it, or they shouldn't lose. Out. I think that if you go out of these two qualifiers with four points, win against Costa Rica, draw against Honduras, I, I think that that's a success. You know, I think that that's also a fair baseline expectation as you're looking for these two games over the next ten days. Absolutely. Uh, last question, Jeff, before we we get to the end of the segment here. Uh, six points here shouldn't be an issue. For the, for I think they could do it. Yeah, I think that they could do that. Um, I would still brace for four, not be stunned and overreact if they get six, and start to feel the floor getting a little warmer as the lava builds if they only get three. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think three wouldn't be a, a, a good... Uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, I expect them to just get a result in bo- both matches. Um, hopefully, especially at home against Costa Rica. But, I mean, I think they can do it on the road against Honduras. I, I do, too. I think the pressure is, is definitely on Bruce Arena to succeed after the Gold Cup, even though the Gold Cup didn't necessarily mean all that much because the mm-hmm. roster wasn't, you know, no Pulisic, none of the, the real big European names. So we'll, we'll see what it conclude. Uh, for the shameless plague, Jeff, where can we find you? Where can we find your content? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Reuter, uh, J-A-F-F-R-U-E-T-E-R. I've got a couple of pieces in the works um, across a few different publications that will be coming out soon. Uh, so uh, Twitter is the best place to find me just because as a full freelance, it's kind of all over the map. So, there you go. Um, and I'll just, I'll just direct people to that. You love oh, the tweet. I love, I love a good tweet. You bet. All right, <laughs> Jeff. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, not a problem. Keep up the work, guys. Thank you. Boy, do I love talking to Jeff. It's a great guy. Man, it's a great, always a great conversation with Jeff and great smart insight. guy. Make, honestly, make sure to follow him on Twitter. He does break a lot of MLS-related news. Um, 
That's actually how I found out about UFM. So if you need anything about Minnesota, perfect guy to follow. Yes. And um, Thursday, be on the lookout. We will have a special Uncle Sam soccer podcast special. Special. Previewing the USA Costa Rica game at Red Bull Arena will happen September 1st. So you'll check that out 24 hours before. Get your uh, pregame coverage with us. The unofficial U.S. men's soccer pregame coverage with Armand Kofi and Steven <laughs> So I like uh, that. I like that. Uncle Sam leading the charge. But uh, New York City FC actually made quite a bit of headlines off the field. I think it's a huge talking point, something that the league has an issue with, and that's regarding the little stadium debacle. Um, huh, a little? Little? A little? So it's it's so let's let's press a bound or do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? You you, you set it up. You you're you're gonna do a better job of All this. Right. Alrighty, so so the New York Yankees had a uh, rain delay, so a game need uh, so a game needs to be moved that's rescheduled. And so put in some context, the field to convert it from soccer to baseball takes three days. Three days for it to convert from oh, soccer to baseball. Oh, it takes three days? Yeah, it's about two or three days. That's why I was reading online. Mm-hmm. And so that, so the Yankees don't even play at home uh, when this game was supposed to uh, occur, be played against uh, occur Houston yeah. against Houston. So, so yeah, against Houston. I was getting there. I was getting there. Okay. So okay. what ended up happening was you get this tweet from NYCFC announcing that they're moving their game to Pratt and Whitney Stadium, East Hartford, Connecticut. It's pretty interesting that a team, team, their stadium, don't you move to a different stadium? Don't you agree? Unfortunately, Skype missed everything you just said in the last 12 seconds. So, to recap, NYCFC is going to play a game at Pratt and Whitney Stadium in East Hartford, Connecticut on September 23rd against the Houston Dynamo. New York City FC actually visited Belmont Park site for a potential new stadium and then announced that they're being forced to play 108 miles away. Yeah, it's pretty it's really embarrassing to 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 look at it. I mean, uh, but Claudio Reyna did say the club sporting director, he said Pratt Whitney Stadium is a great venue for us due to its wonderful playing service and facilities. Hartford's a great soccer city, which has hosted many important international games. They also hosted some national team games. I think the friendly against Ghana was actually played in uh, yeah, Hartford. Yep, I agree. But what's crazy is 108 miles to Hartford from Yankee Stadium. It's about two hours. Actually, Foxborough, where the New England Revolution play, is only 95 miles away from Hartford. So if the Revs ever need you know another stadium to play at, they could always go to Hartford. Which would make more sense. It's the quote-unquote New England. Um, Union's Talon Energy Stadium could have also been an option for NYCFC. It's only 122 miles away. So, you know, an extra, what, 12 miles? NYCFC could have gone south, could have played at that the Union Stadium. But what's crazy is all the different options that NYCFC had. There was City Field, MetLife Stadium, Red Bull Arena, for God's sake. Uh, Robert K. Craft Field at Lawrence A. Wine Stadium. 
Uh, it's an Inwood neighborhood, the northern tip of the island of Manhattan, capacity of 12K. Actually, NYCFC were considering building a new stadium there. So it's like, what the hell happened here? What a disaster it is for the league for this to occur. Who's going to go out to Connecticut yes. to watch this game if you're NYCFC support? If you live in Connecticut, hell yeah, I'm turning up for the game. You're watching an MLS game. You're seeing David Villa play. Why not? But it's just, it looks bad for the league. It's a bad representation of the direction where the league wants to go. NYCFC suddenly, I think, opened the door to, hey, we got to build a stadium. And it's got to be within a couple of years. Yeah, I think they accidentally put more pressure on themselves. Um, it, the fact that they're not the, and that's why the, in, when we're talking about MLS, um, expansion, Cincinnati, the, uh, almost the mayor of Cincinnati is really insistent on the team playing in Nippert Stadium where I play right now, uh, which is, it's owned and the University of Cincinnati also plays there and they're the main tenant of the stadium. You, See now why MLS is requiring these new teams to have a stadium. I don't know why NYCFC came in without a stadium, to be honest. Um, I guess I thought the Yankee partnership would be cool, the brand exposure, uh, it's a big stadium. But the field, I hate the field. I know you hate the field. It's, a oh, it's awful. It's a bad product. The fans sit at odd, awkward angles. I mean, you could be two feet from the stadium, uh, from the field. But not see anything. You have the third uh, one of the outfield poles, the foul line pole, the yellow one. I don't know what it's called. I'm not a baseball, baseball foul expert. Pole. Foul pole in blocking your view on one side of the stadium. I, it's, I, I don't think it's a good product necessarily to watch. The field is very narrow. I think it's bad. Uh, it doesn't hold good sound. That's what uh, Christian, um, you know, we had on what? Two Christian shows Dyer, yep. Christian Dyer was last show. He came on and was explaining us how Yankee Stadium is not a good soccer stadium, nor is it just a good sound stadium. So that that atmosphere that MLS really wants isn't there. It's not created by NYCFC when it's at Yankee Stadium. So it's a I, I, I it's just baffling. What do you think is worse? Is it worse for the team or the league? It's worse for the league, in my opinion. Um, the team can deal with it. I mean, whatever. You have to move your game. It's not a big deal. For the league, internationally, perception-wise, within the realm, what – I mean, I'll have, like, let's say a – God forbid, a a weather or something. When have you ever seen a team play in, like, another stadium because they had to move it because they weren't the main tenant of that stadium? Never. You don't see that. When have you ever seen that? Never, never, never. It's minor league. It's minor leagues. It, it, that's Extreme a great way of league. explaining it. it. It's minor league perception. And to expansion now, it puts more pressure on the new expansion clubs to make sure they get the stadiums. I, I think MLS has has put that in their contract. Is if you're getting a bid, you have to get a soccer-specific stadium. But it it even puts more pressure on, on the stadiums around the league that are uh, – Soccer specific, but not up to to par on the level of of excellence the MLS wants, especially with all the new stadiums being built. You know. Oh yeah, that that pressure that pressure will come uh, when those new expansion stadiums occur. I mean, right now I don't think there's any pressure uh, to make your stadiums nicer or whatnot. Maybe within I don't know 10, 
10 years, I think, may the pressure start building. But like like I was like I was saying earlier, I mean, I I think it's just such a, it's such a minor it's such a minor league thing, and that's why MLS teams want these expansion sides to have uh, stadiums. Now, I guarantee you, all of them will. I mean, we've seen the renderations like of Nashville. Oh, it's of beautiful this, of the of the, of the stadium that Cincinnati wants to build in uh, Kentucky, Carolina, as you mentioned, Sacramento already uh, was beginning to break ground. Um, all these teams. Um, building building a stadium so we don't see this problem again. I mean, a lot of people are still confused why NYCFC was even be able to make it while being a, being excuse me while playing at Yankee Stadium. I think it's a, it's a, it's embarrassing for the league, especially. I mean, like I said, team we can deal with it, but I mean for the league, I mean, come but, on, like. But here's it's the funny thing is it's just embarrassing. Talking to Christian Dyer, I mentioned the stadium thing. Just because I was curious, not because that was on our agenda or one of the questions we circled and highlighted. Hey, we need to ask Christian about this. He's in New York based. It just so happened to fit the conversation. But look at it. 10, 15 days after that conversation we had with Christian Dyer, what are we talking about? What are we spending a segment on this show, this week's shows on? It's this. We're talking about NYCFC stadium issue. Yeah, it's it's. It's 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 an issue that they need to solve relatively quickly. I don't think it's an easy fix. I don't think they'll solve solve it within the next, I'd say, two three years. To be honest, um, well, they're not going to solve issues, it overnight. They're they're not going to have a stadium. Yeah, exactly. Their issue is they had they they insisted that they were playing the, within the five boroughs of New York, and you know how hard it is to find room. I mean, the Red Bulls tried. And now the Red Bulls, they're in New Jersey, and everyone and everyone's like, oh, ha, ha, that was NYC's, that was NYCFC's, you know, little thing. Ha, ha, you play in New Jersey, you don't play in New York. Man, do you see all the stuff they were doing uh, in the Hudson River Derby on Friday Oh, night? yeah, the stadium. I mean, that is one advantage the Red Bulls have, is a, one of the best soccer facilities. A world-class facility. I mean, the national team's playing there. The national team. World-class. It's world class, a world class facility that an MLS club has, and and it's something. Absolutely, it is something to showcase. It's something to to really be proud of. While NYCFC has this issue now, Armand, you you when we first found this out when we were talking back and forth, you you said that there's a possibility of this happening again in the playoffs with the Yankees and how they've been trending, winning, uh, actually being quite of a successful MLB club. With the, the the playoffs happening in October and November, that's when the MLS playoffs are too. Now, who knows NYCFC if they're going to have uh, what seeding and that that goes on to play, but it could potentially happen again. Yeah, uh, I, I can't take credit for it. Some guy on Twitter uh, he mentioned how if the Yankees make the World Series, um, there, there is potential. I, I'm I'm not really that much into baseball. I'm not sure if they're close or far. But um, there they're, is they're potential in the playoff that hunt. if the Yankees make the, they're in play- okay. Yeah, here's potential. If they make the playoffs, their home games could interfere with NYCFC playoff matches. And if you that three day break, I don't think there'll be enough time. Now, how embarrassing would that be for a league? How embarrassing would that be for a league if a playoff game was played in not the team's home stadium? How embarrassing would It'd that be? It'd be embarrassing, but it wouldn't be all that bad. 
depending on where they play. Now, if if they played at Red Bull Arena and they can get that stadium to sell out blue, then I'm all for it. Play at a, I'm sure the players would be more happy to play at Red Bull Arena hosting Toronto FC, for example. I don't know how the playoff situation will work out, but just throw it out there. Not the Red Bulls, but say Toronto. You're playing on a Soccer Pacific field, Soccer Pacific stadium with proper dimensions, a proper atmosphere. I don't think the players would necessarily mind. I think the players probably detest playing on Yankee Stadium or uh, at Yankee Stadium. I mean, there may there might even be a situation like when I think it was 2009, 2008, one or two, when Chivas USA was still in the league where they played the LA Galaxy and they both played each leg at StubHub. I mean, if that happens, they'd probably play both legs at Red Bull Arena, wouldn't they? I mean, I feel like that makes the most that'd sense. That'd be kind of... Hey, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I think that'd be fine, but I think it'd still be relatively embarrassing that a, a team would have to be kicked their home stadium, if that makes any sense. Um, no, I mean, it's an embarrassment I, good to look. the league. It's not a good look, and it's, it's an issue that Major League Soccer has because you do see some of the facilities. And then it ventures into the, the football question. For example... Do should MLS clubs like the Sounders, like the Revs, um, like Atlanta United, for example, be playing at a football stadium with artificial turf? With turf, you know, whether it's it's the the fake grass. I don't know the, all the different turfs there are out there now these days. Oh man, don't get us started. Would we have like a, another five segments on that? I mean, it, it's it's interesting on that issue. But listeners, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for hanging in there. New setup. Uh, we're really excited for the direction of the show. Check out Thursday's new episode where it's going to be USA versus Costa Rica preview. A special from Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. It's a special for our favorite listeners, our um, our, our great listeners. Um, thanks for dealing with our uh, setup. We're currently just adjusting to our uh, college lives. Well, not adjusting, but to our long-distance long relationship. relationship. So, <laughs> bear with us. It'll be a lot better Thursday. Yep, so, I promise, guys. We love you. Che- uh, follow us on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Follow me at Steven Jodderin. Armand, you can be followed at K A F A I Sport. Follow there me on you there, go. and we'll see you guys Thursday. If you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com rewards for full program details. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone 15 dollars a month after 22 a month credit. Apply within two bills. If cancel early remaining amounts due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for auto pay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. 